0: Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed and nuanced format. We are running this show as a crossover episode with the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, so we're going to run it on Big Technology Podcast feed. We are going to run it on the Tech Meme Ride Home feed. I'm Alex Kantrowitz. We have a great series of story topics to cover with you today. We're going to talk about the open AI business model, the fact that it lost a lot of money last year, and whether its business is sustainable. We're also going to talk about the proprietary versus open source battle, and whether big tech is going to have a chance to compete with the open source community when it comes to artificial intelligence. It's actually a more uh, competitive fight than you might imagine. We'll also cover some of the concerns about AI that came up this week, a lot of AI this week, but hey, I guess that's the big story, and also the White House and other government initiatives to try to rein in some of the potential risks of that technology. And then, stay with us the second half, we're going to cover the economy, we're going to cover Apple earnings, and we're going to cover, of course, Ed Sheeran. Yes, Ed Sheeran has been exonerated. He won his copyright trial. I actually think this is a big deal, not only for the entertainment and music industry, for the precedent that it sets for generative AI and all the different types of content that's going to come out of this new technology. Let me introduce our guests. Ranjan Roy is here with us as always on Fridays. Welcome, Free Ranjan. Ed and we also have Brian McCullough, who is the host of the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast.
1: Yes, uh, every weekday I do the tech news in 15 minutes. So, Alex and I always like to say that it's a good compliment. We sort of, I'll give you the background every day. And then on the weekends or whenever, Alex will give you the in depth, hard hitting uh, analysis. So, um, yeah, thanks. Tech meme right home.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, I agree. Like you can do tech meme right home Monday to Friday, and you know if you need a deeper or longer podcast, maybe go on uh, big technology podcast feed on the weekends or on Wednesday when I drop the flagship interview. And potentially, you know, you could really round Full, out your media diet media with those diet, two shows. Yeah. Uh, let's touch on our first story of the week. OpenAI just reported or information reported that OpenAI lost. 540 million last year that's double what it lost the year before and this was before it became a household name like it is today i mean that is a lot of money and it just leads me to believe that maybe this revolution that we're seeing with chat gpt and dolly and image generators i mean is it actually going to even be a sustainable business any at any time soon i mean it just seems like they're spending a lot of money they're not making a lot and the story picks up picks up that even as revenue picked up reaching an annual pace of hundreds of millions of dollars Weeks after OpenAI launched a paid version of ChatGPT in February, those costs are likely going to keep rising as more customers use its artificial intelligence technology and the company trains future versions of its technology. So, like, here's the real question about this tech, right? Is, let's say it replaces search. Is it so expensive to operate that it actually becomes a bad business that won't make money and, you know, we might not even see it reach its potential because it's that costly to run?
1: I mean, if that's uh, all of last year, what you got to figure the last six months would be is what six times that number? Like, what's it was ten Chat billion?
2: ChatGPT was only released November thirtieth, right. For one month of last year, that the entire public right. was using it, right? So, so
1: what maybe they've blown through the entire ten billion dollars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, remember that's the point: is the investment was not necessarily money; it was like kind of credits, cloud through. credits. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's an open question. I mean. One of the things in that piece is that um, Sam Altman also says that um, he wants, he thinks they might have to raise $100 billion eventually. He told uh, somebody this week that this might be the most capital intensive tech startup of all time. But remember, what he is doing is going after, um, you know, computers being sentient, right? Um, So he has like a, a different sort of, uh, if, if if what the money that they're talking about is is training models to get to the the artificial intelligence of everyone's dreams like I can see that that would be super expensive what you're talking about now is the call it a product call it a, a gimmick of chat GPT right now is that sustainable and I
2: yeah, I, I, I think this is the biggest issue I had with the Microsoft investment that, you know, it started out sounding, it was $1 billion and it's $10 billion. And then you realize they're essentially just paying for the compute for every ridiculous chat GPT query you make. You know, let's make us uh, an article in the style of Ed Sheeran lyrics that would cost some money and OpenAI is paying for it, and maybe Microsoft's paying it for it on the back end. So I think we are so far from understanding the actual unit economics of any of these queries, any of these searches. And, And I think this is one of those things that even with Google right now, when they're going after this, what is it going to look like is this going to be like ride sharing where no one ever figures out the economics of any individual actual no, we do but we
0: do have some numbers right so this is from sam altman himself he was talking i think to elon musk he said the average is probably single digit cents per chat trying to figure out how more precisely about how we can optimize it
1: or per query per
0: chat but are you saying per chat but even That's if it's like just a, a conversation i mean of money. it's yeah. a lot of money you yeah. multiply that times a thousand and you think about like what people might pay for an ad rate by the way The business model here, and we've talked about this in the past, completely not figured out, right? So if you don't have a business model, you're spending more than it costs to deliver people from search. You know, it does start to, and by the way, I still think there's a lot of potential here, but people have made it uh, it out to be, this is the inevitable future. And I'm just saying, maybe the companies that are running this don't have enough money to support these type of actions uh, 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 in perpetuity and it might end up being that they will only be able to do for instance paid which actually limits the amount of scale they can ever reach.
1: Well, you got to figure that the unit economics on this are going to come down. We assume that always in technology. However, there are other costs that are going to be coming in the near future. We also know that to run the to train these models could be like 50 million dollars a model, right? So that's also a huge expense that's in the background, but there's another one coming. Because they've trained all these models on data sets that they were able to get without paying for them and as we've seen people are aware of that now and they're going to start charging so if you want to do the next uh gpt 5, 6, seven, or whatever and you need data sets that aren't reddit that aren't the freely available internet you're going to have to pay up for the people to give you that data so that side of the equation is also going up in terms of
2: cost well yeah i believe reddit now made their API paid for this exact reason that they don't want people, which I actually do believe Reddit is probably one of the most valuable text data sets in the world. Now you have to pay for it. I, I mean, you, you commented on it earlier when Sam Altman is saying we might need to raise $100 billion proudly saying we're the most capital intensive startup in history. That's a red flag for me. I mean, those are the statements I think you look back on years from now and you're like, what were we all thinking
0: which is amazing given the moment that we're seeing right now with every tech company every startup is actually trying to go the opposite way which is to say we're not capital intensive and we can actually run a business with a profit i mean that's what we're looking at right now and if you can't do that then where 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 does this lead to down the line and i think this is sort of like the place where we should wrap this segment but it's definitely a question that we need to ask and that is if this becomes so expensive that these companies can't run the businesses anymore Do we end up seeing this rollback from ChatGPT being what was the fastest growing consumer application in history to something that simply cannot continue to be supported by these companies? And actually, like, that would be the biggest argument for us being in a bubble right now is that these companies are giving away or subsidizing these chats to the extent that simply they will have to roll back or they're going to go out of business.
1: So this might be a seg into the next segment, hopefully to play a little bit of host here. But I was talking to someone deep in the the AI space this week, and they were saying it's amazing how ChatGPT has quickly become irrelevant, at least in their eyes to the space. And one of the reasons for that is, is who needs pay when you have all of these free models and open source models running around? And there was a big piece that I did on my show today about, uh, there's a leaked memo from um, a, a Google employee from April where he's essentially saying internally to other folks at Google, we, we have been looking over our shoulder at ChatGPT. Meanwhile, what we really need to worry about is this open stuff. There is no moat here if all of this stuff is out there and can be run on people's laptops.
0: Yeah, so this is a memo from a Google senior engineer named Luke Sernau. Cern- And I think that this is one of the most important memos that we've seen come out of Google, maybe in its history. And I know that sounds like, like big terminology and hyperbole but as I read it I was like thinking like oh my goodness this is actually I was reminded of the
1: the Microsoft memos from the early 90s about Mm. you know getting the internet uh, religion and stuff like that exactly
0: so I mean it's definitely what it sounds like and let me read a little bit for listeners and viewers so they can get a sense as to what Luke was saying so he says while our models still hold a slight edge in terms of quality the gap is closing astonishingly quickly Open source models are faster, more customizable, more private, and pound for pound, pound, for pound more capable. And they're doing things with $100 and 13B uh, params that we struggle with with 10, 10 million and 540B. And they're doing it, they're doing so in weeks, not months. This has profound implications for us. And so he goes on to say we have no secret sauce. People will not pay for a restricted model when free, unrestricted alternatives are comparable in quality. And giant models are slowing us down. In the long run, the best models are the ones which can be iterated upon quickly. So if I'm getting it right, what Luke is saying to Google is that so much of the technology behind this current wave of AI is already out there, open sourced, and there's a community that's building upon it. And Google might think that it has a research edge because it's really helped push forward the status quo so much. And maybe that's something that you can look at retrospectively, look at the history and say, should Google have open sourced that transformer model? But basically what he's saying is the game is over right now. This is open source. You cannot win if you're going to hold things back because what you need to do is collaborate with that community to end up building the products.
2: Yeah, I think this is the single most important thing in the industry right now because what we're gonna see is business problems that actually you need to solve. You don't need, what is 175 trillion parameters and the largest models, the DaVinci models that OpenAI has necessarily, even in work I've done, fine tuning smaller models you end up with similar results when they're fairly straightforward business challenges so i think the what the actual overall monetization model looks like so much of the work that will be done will be able to be done by smaller open source models just go on the hugging face community and find models that have already been trained for very specific use cases and i I think this is exciting. I think this is uh, probably maybe the dream of uh, technological innovation kind of actually being dispersed throughout the business world in an equitable way. Maybe this is actually going to be it. Uh,
1: So I also run the Ride Home Fund and starting in December, basically everything inbound was like 90% AI stuff. And you would talk to people and they'd be like, either the the big guys are going to own this, so this is not worth investing in. Or you see a flood of take this image and put it into the AI and you can make a web page coded for you or, or, you know, uh, architecture plans or whatever. Um, and, and that feels like investing in a website in 1996 or something, right? Like every, um, but what I've been seeing lately, like is this is where the energy is at. Like these are the companies that I'm interested in investing in because it is sort of like this a thousand flowers blooming where it's like, if you, because then it becomes like varietals. I have to credit Chris Messina for this, but the idea that like it, it, there's these l- large language models out there in the wild that people are tweaking, the way that varietals for wine, you know, wine tastes different based on the valley it's grown in and like the soil and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, like, what if that is like, if, if that's the case, if this stuff has escaped the lab and people are just jamming on it then this could be like the greatest like explosion of software and tech creativity of our lifetimes, certainly since web 2.0, because it's like, if it's not going to be owned by the big folks and it's not just adding <laughs> a, a chat bot to an Excel spreadsheet, then it is like, it's figmas all the way down where it's like, people can just tweak existing software models or, or, or blow new ones up.
0: And he says, he says, this is an important quote, and I'll let you talk in a second, yeah. John. but he says, we need them more than they need us. And he says, um, we can try to hold on tightly to our secrets while outside innovation dilutes their value, or we can try to learn from each other. When was the last time you heard someone from inside of Google or a Facebook or a Microsoft or an Apple say we need them more than they need us? Maybe
2: they've been saying this the whole time and those memos never got leaked. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I, I think the tide has definitely shifted. And I think that's exactly the point that, Right now, as OpenAI losing $540 million and making bigger and bigger models internally, until people are actually building on those and using those in their day-to-day life and build you know, for actually really specific use cases, it's not gonna realize its value. So exactly, they need the entire developer community working on top of it on the varietal wine thing I kind of love this. I, kinda, yeah. I I I'm definitely a, if I was a thread boy, I think I would have to make which model would be which wine. Cause right, that's right, amazing. Right. Well,
1: but <laughs> get in touch with me because Chris and I need to write this up and do it like uh, right, uh, I think uh, this. maybe we'll do it uh, uh if you, you do guest posing. Let me let me yeah. give you the counter argument because I did give a counter argument on my show today. I, I yeah. couldn't bring up the tweet, so I, I can't give credit to the tweeter, but um, the counter-argument is this. That what OpenAI is doing is what AWS has done and what Microsoft did in the 90s, which is own the developer ecosystem, mm. right? And so that's your moat. Yeah. If you can get people in your tooling ecosystem, then it kind of functionally doesn't matter because if they're all creating, they're creating within your moat, right? So the thousand flowers blooming are still something that you, you know, can can monetize in theory if you can make the unit economics work. But so I. Again, I'm coming around to this idea that it is a wide it might be the greatest wide open blue skies that we've seen in years, but there's a counter argument here that there are playbooks where people could still lock down their advantage.
0: The counter counter argument would be that developers <laughs> could just use ChatGPT and displace the functions that maybe OpenAI or Microsoft would would play. No, I'm I'm in, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but I mean this this idea that you can use some of these tools to end up coding some of the back ends or whatever you need. Of course, people will opt for convenience, but it'll be very interesting to watch this software end up participate in the creation process itself. And it'll be very interesting to see how how that impacts the developer ecosystems and the, the infrastructure that they need to build on top of these tools.
1: How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have 1Password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password. OnePassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride collide.com slash ride.
2: Yeah, I think uh, one more point on that. This is even more where the bigger the model that open AI is trying to train and build and the more expensive it is if people don't need that or even know how to use it it's just going to become more and more of a waste of and money. he says
1: yeah. in his piece like that's not the point bigger doesn't mean better exactly, if you yeah. can have a 20 billion thing that runs on your laptop yeah like you could take it to an office and you could you know train it on the the drawings of an architecture office and you don't need the biggest model in the world
0: so isn't this this is a very interesting moment because what this also does is it puts into relief some of the big questions that we've had about AI safety, right? Like, how many discussions have there been? I remember when Dolly first came out, for instance, people were just like, well, OpenAI is being very careful about the type of images that you can make from Dolly. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The image, and this is one of the examples that uh, the Google guy gives, in, that Luke gives in his piece, is that the underlying technology to make those images to do stable diffusion becomes available widely the next thing you know you're in a discord with mid-journey and you can create faces of donald trump and all different sorts of situations and it does it's kind of interesting to see this and you put it in contrast with what happened this week where jeff hinton who was at google has left and his stated reason is that he's a little bit nervous about what the AI is leading to, and he wants to speak out about it. So it's very interesting because these two very interesting stories come out of Google. One, we really can't control it. Two, I'm worried what happened if we can't control it. Like All of the discussions, all of the discussions about how you do good governance around this, how you set boundaries around this, all those discussions seem to go out the window if it becomes something that is so openly available that anybody can get access to image creation, video creation, audio manipulation, and text. What do you guys think
1: um the this is probably a dangerous analogy but um you know when people say that ai is could potentially end humanity (laughs) life as we know it um they make the analogy to the the atom bomb to to nuclear energy and things like that but you don't have the ability like you need a nation state you need entire apparatus trillions of dollars to create Mm -hmm. a nuclear bomb um, a person, uh, a 19-year-old, can't do it in in their mom's basement, right? Problem with this stuff is, <laughs> it's out there yeah. and anyone can use it. And so, like, we need to be thinking about this. I think in different ways, which is, it's not just that the the horses are out of the barn; it's that this is trivially easy for any 13-year-old hacker to use or exploit, or create a great tool or business out of. So it's like, again. It would be great if it's not controlled by the gatekeepers, but also be prepared for if it's controlled by 13-year-olds as well. I,
2: I think the problem I have in the danger conversation is how, I mean, and I think Sam Altman kind of represents the epitome of this, of walking around saying they fear AI taking over the world while trying to push and build the biggest, most capital-intensive startup and invest 10 billion, hundreds of billions of dollars into the development of it. I still feel that the leaders that try to push the narrative around agi is going to kill us all given they're the same ones controlling it implicit in that is we are the only ones that can save you because otherwise why <laughs> would you be working on it why would you be building a business on it jeff hinton leaving i think is interesting because at least it's someone who is saying i will no longer take part in this and i want to be able to speak openly about it but at least reading the cade mets and the times piece like, a lot of his concerns are almost more on the mundane side yes disinformation will likely increase significantly yes the inherent biases in these models are going to continue existing but i mean we can address those issues but the idea that artificial intelligence will become more powerful than humanity and kill us all i think i don't know i am still struggling this one and i'm pretty cynical on a lot
1: of things there's a weird cultural thing to this where probably the three of us have been in these forums since Mm -hmm. the early 2000s, you know, where you're debating like the Fermi paradox and like what happens when AI takes over and Nick Bostrom's books and things like that. Like this has been the, the favorite parlor game, uh, sorry, circle jerk of, (laughs) of technology circles. All right. Now we're putting explicit on the podcast for 20 (laughs) years. And so I, I'm with you in the sense that I get annoyed that this is the thing because people have been talking about this in forums for 20 years, that as, as like, a oh, my God, like, let's get high and, and imagine the worst case scenarios. And now it's almost like it's the it's the savior complex where it's like, OK, now that's here, I've been telling you for 20 years it's coming. And so all, I was right. And and also you should only like I feel like it it fits into some of the worst cultural not even stereotypes, but like frameworks of of tech folks and how they think of the world.
0: But don't worry, because uh, the White House and our politicians are here to save us. This week, the White House, according to the New York Times, gathered, I mean, and, and basically every other publication that covered this gathered Silicon Valley chief executives like Sam Altman and Sundar Pichai to limit the risks. Push them to limit the risks of artificial intelligence. And they call it the administration's most visible effort to confront rising questions and call to regulate the rapidly advancing technology. And uh, Joe Biden had some cho- choice words for the group. Ron John picked them out on Twitter. He says, I hope you can educate us on what you think is most needed to protect society. I mean, obviously, it's going to be regulation that benefits the companies in the room. But it is interesting to see this start to take take hold in Washington and uh, and 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 governments around the world and in one way I'm just like okay well maybe there's something there i mean there's 140 million dollars on new research devoted to ai that the national science foundation is about to get and then i also wonder like i have with most of the conversations around big tech whether the government is actually doing anything and you know it did seem to me in this case to definitely be more of a photo op than something that You know might actually because whether or not that might actually help us because whether or not these like you know getting high in the dorm room conversations are actually going to manifest like there's obviously stuff that we need to worry about when it comes to this new technology and the question is is the government up to the task
2: i think while i was triggered by biden's you know going (laughs) to a room full of ceos and saying you guys are going to have to direct us to prevent us from the dangers of ai and in a way maybe that shows that their narrative of agi killing us all is working when the president of the us is asking you to help save us but lena khan's op-ed in the new york times i was very happy with i think her very explicitly laying out here's what happened with web 2.0 here's what happened with social media because we were not ahead of the game, we fell behind, and then things got out of control. And then we need to be proactive on this. And I think it has to be civil society, researchers, academics leading the conversation just as much as the CEO of OpenAI or Microsoft.
1: The UK regulators, I think it's the CMA, came out with the same thing the same day. Like, So this is not a case, I think I said on the show, that that the regulators are sleeping on AI, that they see the revolution is, is coming like the rest of us. Let me let me do another history hat for you, though. And I'm going to use the uh, atomic bomb analogy. Again, the one of the reasons that we have the atomic energy agency is when all this stuff was happening, World War Two was happening. So the the government had extraordinary wartime powers, you know, the entire economy was on a war footing. And like, you know, Ford was creating tanks, they weren't making cars, right. So it, it, it if if people really believe that this is an atomic bomb level moment, I don't know that there's certainly not the um the appetite for that high level of regulation like no one can do ai stuff or uh, atomic stuff but the government and i also don't think that there's any sort of laws in place like this will be led by academia and and uh, corporate america so we're, the government kind of doesn't have a place. Well, no,
2: I mean, think about copyright, I think is gonna be the first battleground Mm -hmm. in this and it will be decided soon and there'll be definitely substantive legislation around it because it's huge. And we said maybe that becomes one of the biggest changes in the unit economics once OpenAI cannot scrape the entire internet Mm -hmm. or take every image and then recreate in the style of Artist X. Like, I think this is where it's such, an actual realistic thing to deal with and go after. So I think that's gonna be the first place. People look at obviously understanding the bias within models and trying to come up with some frameworks around this, I think is gonna be important too, because we all completely, like that stuff is so clear and obvious, and we've been talking about this for years now. So when this kind of technology becomes embedded in more and more day-to-day parts of our lives, I think the government's gonna have to get involved. And I think they are, and obviously, Having a bunch of CEOs sitting around and asking them, what is your thought to save us is not necessarily the right idea, but at least they're doing something.
0: Yeah, I just hope they can do it without playing politics. And you know, they very noticeably did not invite Meta, which is pushing the standard forward. In fact, one of its models is part of this big open source movement that we're talking about. And when they asked the White House why Meta wasn't there, White House says, Thursday's meeting was focused on companies currently leading in the space, especially on the consumer-facing <laughs> products I, I don't side. think
2: that's political. I think that's just savage. <laughs> that's, that is, uh, well,
0: maybe both, yeah. but, I, you know, a little both there. So it brings me up to, to this, this one question that I have, which is that we're, we're in this moment that I call the AI PR industrial complex, which I wrote about on Big Technology this week. And it is quite interesting where, like, we are seeing substantive technological development, But we've also seen this flood of uh, whether it is corporations or thread boys or thought leader grifters or politicians and regulators who are using this moment to say, okay, we are about to start to tackle these issues or get involved in these issues. And they make it seem like, you know, it it seems like all you need to do is throw AI in your announcement. And much of the press just gobbles it up like completely without asking, like, what the heck is going on here? For instance, there was a bill from Senator uh, Ed Markey and a handful of other members of Congress, including Ken Buck on the Republican side. They introduced legislation uh, to prevent AI from launching a nuclear weapon. That was the head of that was the headline of their press release. And it's just like, you know. First of all, it's completely implausible that, you know, that any government would allow AI to make that decision. Actually, it will never happen. Like if you know anything about government and I think these guys do because they're in the government, you know that that's not going to happen. And then if you're trying to get like a press release out to say, hey, listen, we don't want AI itself. We're trying to instruct the AI not to launch the nuclear code. I mean, I'm sorry, guys, but if you're relying on this bill to prevent AI from taking nuclear weapons and wiping out the world, you're not gonna get anywhere.
2: Well, and, I mean, uh, separate from nuclear weapons, you covered this too. I think the more yeah. hilarious, uh, let's call it a press release, was the report about IBM. Their CEO, Arvind Krishna, said that they would pause hiring for back office roles, 7,800 roles, because that the type of roles that AI might replace. Right Now, everyone kind of approached this as, oh, look, here's one of the first signs that AI is gonna kill jobs. I am looking this at this as, where is IBM in the AI race? I, IBM should have won it years ago with the amount of marketing they did around Watson. I honestly-
0: Well, marketing doesn't win Exactly. Paths. And my,
2: my call is this is almost a marketing announcement because by saying we're pausing hiring in the future on these roles because you're trying to imply we are so good at AI that we already know exactly which jobs it's going to replace and we can already afford replacing them. So I, I had a little problem with the, this announcement. I, mean, I don't think necessarily the the point of this was to get that headline and put IBM's name back in the running alongside right. everyone. It's else. like,
0: all right, congratulations, you got some more headlines about yeah. AI. But like, what was astonishing to me is that on IBM's Watson page, by the way, Watson is still a thing. The company says that um, let's see, it says that Watson helps free up employees to focus on higher value work, and now it's trying to tell people actually what we're doing is elim- going to eliminate the need to have employees. So do you want employees to do the higher value work or do you want to eliminate employees? It's completely confused, which is just like total evidence in my, in my opinion that what this is is just part of this AI PR industrial complex, which is that companies, politicians, thinkfluencers, et cetera, will just say anything to get their name in the headlines and potentially a little bit of that AI shine. And I think that there is a latent understanding that this is going on but I also think that it's worth taking a moment to pause to think about and identify just how insidious this is going to be and how prevalent it will be across the tech industry and government.
1: S- same as it ever was. Um,
0: but worse. A few months
1: ago, <laughs> it was Web3. Yeah, but I think this is, yeah. And, and this 25 is, yeah. years ago, though, when the internet, again, putting the history hat on, when the internet came about, there was a good four or five years where it's like you could excuse any decision, any layoffs, any new division that you're you're launching or whatever. Well, we need an internet strategy. And because... Most people, including journalists, including lawmakers, but also the the, the general public and, and shareholders, didn't really quite know what the internet thing was yet. No one, mm. none of us in this room quite know what the AI thing is yet and how it's going to change our lives. So you get a lot of cover for using buzzwords right now. Yeah, but I,
2: I th- for me, the biggest problem I have with this, and I'm very glad you wrote this piece, Alex, is because I am incredibly bullish and I've been doing a lot of work with generative AI and I... And I can be cynical about a lot of things, crypto, um, but I think uh, for me, the generative AI space, the most important part is there is so much potential to do real things And this entire hype cycle might completely destroy that. And I've written about this in the past that can innovation actually be prevented from hype? And I worry because when everyone's expectations get so high that, no, I don't need this to just do some simple task for me. I want to completely change my entire business. And that doesn't happen in six months from now. You get a little disillusioned when OpenAI cannot come up with a simple business model and will lose tons and tons of money and Google realizes that we can embed llms into our search then it makes people even more disillusioned it makes investors more disillusioned so i do worry that the pr aipr industrial complex
0: could uh rolls right off the tongue doesn't aipr <laughs> <laughs> i try to find a better term for it but i'm oh, sorry what your worry?
2: well no i mean that it's gonna it's, hold, it, hold it, us back it, like i've actually i've been laughed at when i brought up the idea because that my friends that like they argue that Technological innovation is inevitable if mm-hmm. the technology is the right one and a good one. I genuinely believe that if the hype cycle overtakes the technology itself, it can prevent it from ever being t- like going off the ground. Well, and yeah. AI is in that moment right now.
1: ZocDoc.com slash TechMeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash TechMeme. ZocDoc.com slash TechMeme. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy Live customer support, plus everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
0: We are going, but we, it's, it's very interesting because, like every now and again, the theory gets tested with reality. And we'll just do one more story to end this segment, which is that the writers are on strike in Hollywood. And, you know, we had Sharon Waxman on a little bit a while, you know, ago, saying, could this stuff eventually replace the, the writers? And obviously it's just not up to the task yet. Like Hollywood is saying, we're going to replace you with chat GPT. And all the writers are like, come on. And it's obviously clear that AI isn't going to even the best generative AI tools. You can put chat GPT 4.x uh, or GPT 4. X up against the writers, it's just not going to do as good of a job, even if you have studio executives bashing their head against the wall, trying to figure I, it out. I don't know I, about both that. Both
1: are looking at I don't know <laughs> about that. Here, here. Think of this analogy. Um, I did a story this week about how one writer was saying, what I fear is um, someone's got a rom-com script, and they're like, we need to make this more Nora Ephron. So you put it into the Nora Ephron bot, and you get that snappy, mm. great, you know, 30 screwball comedy dialogue or whatever. And also like, so like, what if, what if the, the, it, it's doing passes on like, let's make this more exciting. Let's make this funny or whatever. And then the writer's job is to just come in and clean it up and like, just do edits on top of like, it, like, so it's, it's almost like this comes back to what we're, we were just saying, the writers are using this buzzword as a fear tactic, as a negotiating tactic. Um, in theory. I also think that they have legitimate complaints in terms of the business model in the streaming era. But there, I, I would argue that um, there would be a huge disintermediation between the creative process if all of a sudden the studios are like, well, here, you do this, you put it in the machine, and then your job is to polish what the machine does.
2: Yeah, but I, I think the more important point you just made was the business model. And I think trying to distinguish the or look at this as purely a creative process or a content output versus the overall picture because what's happened is think of every marvel movie that comes out is derivative it's just i mean in terms of what ai should be able to do is create the script for the next marvel movie a couple of witticisms here and there some uh, some like you know recitations of character references whatever else
1: you can make a good living just polishing scripts like a jason manzoukas makes a good living going into these marvel movies and adding a one joke that makes it into the movie but it gets right. paid six Yeah. Figures, yeah exactly so. and but,
0: th- go ahead
2: but that that's why to me that's more indicative of the larger problem is derivative content has become the center of a lot of the media business and that has put writers trying to create original content in a worse position and this is the thing is that again if you're creating truly original genuine content It's AI is not going to replace that anytime soon. And that's where, again, the bullish case, you can use AI in your creative process to make you better and make you do more, Um, which I think, again, I think things should move in that direction. But if all the studios are looking for is just the same thing over and over again, which is kind of where the movie industry has gone, yes, AI is going to be right in the middle there.
0: And in the meantime, it's going to be a bargaining chip. And that I think is important because the studios and everyone negotiating with, uh, you know, content union, for instance, will always say, "Well, we could just use AI." And Mike Isaac from the New York Times wrote about this yesterday on Twitter. Actually, he said, "After talking to folks smarter than me, I wonder how much of a fixation on AI is a head fake from studios using uh, using it as a bargaining chip. That is to say, they don't care about it while chipping away at the bottom line, which is the basics of the pay scale for the streaming era." So I I think that that might be the case. Well, definitely will be the case in negotiations from now on. We're here on Big Technology Podcast and the Tech Meme Riot Home Podcast uh, feeds, doing this as a crossover show. Really glad that you're here with us. Um, We're going to go to break. um, And and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the the latest in the economy, looking at the Fed and jobs. We're going to look at Apple earnings. We're going to see if we can touch on this Verge story about Andreessen Horowitz. And we're going to wrap up with the big news that Mr. Ed Sheeran has been held innocent in the accusations that said that he was copying music. He was not, at least according to the courts. Back right after this. And we're back here on Big Technology Podcast with Ron John Roy, who writes margins on Substack. Brian McCullough, GP of the Ride Home Fund. And then also the host of the tech meme Ride Home podcast. Let's talk about the economy. Why don't we? So it looks like finally the Fed is going to pause its relentless campaign of interest rates. They raised another 0.25% or 25 basis points. If you like talking in Fed speak, and uh, this might be it. Jerome Powell said uh, in the recent meetings that people did talk about pausing, uh, but not so much at this meetings, but he says, we feel like we're getting closer or maybe even there. And of course, this has a huge impact on tech valuations and the business world as a whole ranjan is it time to celebrate for the tech industry to celebrate have we done enough (laughs) i think this is where
2: i don't know if i'll ever know what a good stable economy looks like again because right now we should be excited that the idea that the fed finally will pause should be the best news ever But the Fed will likely pause. The banking crisis is at the center of all of this. The idea that the economy is still relatively unstable. So part of the reason to pause is to maintain economic growth. It's not because inflation has come down so much that we can just very safely say we're done. And I think that's the reason they're not looking to pause because everything's great. Right. They're looking to pause, in fact, because everything is not great.
0: They almost have no choice here because we've already seen Silicon Valley Bank and now First Republic is, is gone. I mean, First Republic is a big bank.
2: And th- This and- was the quietest... I mean, eerily quietest bank failure I have seen, at least. Because, I mean, if you can re- remember SVB when we were down at South by Southwest, that was Big just deal. overtaking everything. First, republic public just went down. And, I mean, I guess when it's telegraphed and you've already seen one, it's a, lot, it's a lot smoother. But still, to me, this is a reminder. And, I mean, the Fed gets it that things are a lot more unstable than, you know, the headline numbers show, like the jobs number today.
0: And the question is how that how that cascades and you like look at it, you're like, okay, maybe it's we're going in a good direction, right? Like even some of the big tech companies are like, now, now, you know, they're showing growth again, meta, for instance, showing growth again, for the first time, in a handful of quarters, Apple actually not having the sales decline, which we're going to get to in the way that that it was expected. But you also have bank failures, the need to pause rates. I mean, the jobs number was good. Um, actually, unemployment rate is now 3.6%. 3. 3.4%, 3. it was expected to be at 3.6%. But yeah, there's, a, there's just dealing with all these factors at once. I think you put it perfectly. Like you sort of throw your hands up and you say, well, I, I hope this is fine because there's so much. It does feel like they're balancing those plates on a stick.
1: Do, do you buy that narrative? Because um, I've seen that as well that, one of the things coming out of this last earnings week for, for the big tech companies is that it's not that all of a sudden they turned around, but maybe people are like, well, it's bottomed. We know where the bottom is um, and, and we should see things turning around right now. Are, uh, do you guys buy that narrative that um, maybe it was just took 18 months after the COVID hangover and now cycles are returning? You know, people are starting to buy laptops again and things like that.
2: Not I mean, ne- go ahead. It, not necessarily for me because I actually think what the last earnings roundup uh, showed us is that things are getting concentrated again. Because mm. I mean, the big five, big six did very well, but other companies are continuing to get slaughtered mm. in the market. You know, like the medium size to small size, the small cap tech firms are at, still at the lowest
1: that they've ever been. What, what about like the leaders of the last thing, like all the SaaS companies, like the the the, the Shopify's?
2: Or- yeah, yeah. So, so Shopify is an interesting one. Like, I think there's, I mean, they're still well down from their high, but the stock was up 24% yesterday. And the thing is, in a good way, Shopify, they announced they're going to be cutting their logistics business completely. They're laying off, I think, of their people. So they're making huge moves and the market rewarded them for it. But it's a reminder that the companies that were able to actually adjust themselves out of the COVID related overinvestment could be positioning themselves well. But that's, I think, the winner, the big winners are going to continue winning. And that's what the last few weeks have shown us. Whereas if you're, again, medium and small cap, I think you're in even more trouble than before and the ai conversation fits into that too that investors are still leaning towards a microsoft or a google or a meta because they think that they have potential in this whole massive economy that could happen um so yeah i think concentration as opposed to like everyone is doing well again
0: So yeah, let's talk about Apple. I mean, it's sort of a perfect segue. So their results were not as bad as feared. They were the last big tech company to report this week. They were expecting 5% decline in revenue. They only showed 3%. uh, But lots of interesting details in that earnings report. And they have inventory of $7.48 billion at the end of the quarter. I mean... I mean, most companies on the stock market would be happy to have a valuation that high.
1: That's unsold and um, Unsold devices, yeah. And
0: so this is from Alexey Orskovic, who's an editor at Fortune. He says it's the highest level in at least five years. And he wonders whether it's the new VR and AR headset mm. waiting in warehouses or unsold Macs piling up. I mean, there's definitely oh, some good unsold Max, but like, right it there. is a great mystery. Yeah, yeah. And if the
1: headset is three thousand dollars. That you wouldn't need a lot of them to to add up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah, uh, I'm just curious. Like, so let's say it is the headset. I mean, obviously, that would ima- that would anticipate that they're going to sell a lot of these things. Brian, what do you think is actually going to happen? Because we're really close to seeing. Hopefully, Apple give some more information about what these headsets are all going to be? What are you anticipating?
1: So I I put this in the notes because I haven't been able to to use this anywhere yet, but I have a new theory about what they're going to do. And believe me, I'm not a Gruber. I'm not one of these Apple people that knows Apple very well. But it occurs to me recently that, you know, everyone's like, well, eventually Apple wants this to replace the iPhone. This is their 20 year play, right? However, it's a $3,000 product. And some of the things that we've been reading from the rumor mongers lately are about um, how you're going to be able to use it for work. Like I could sit down here, put on the headset at work in an immersive, like full screen. What else is a $3,000 device, a laptop or a computer? So I've been thinking lately, what if next month, at least for right now, obviously they want to bring the price down eventually. They want it to be more mainstream. But what if that's what they sell it as right now for the launch is you're willing to pay $3,000 for a laptop. What if you could have a laptop that you could take with you all the time and do all your computing and, and and sit on a park bench and have a completely immersive screen? Oh, and by the way, also you can do games and exercising and things like that. What if that's what they lean into is a laptop on steroids?
2: That is quite cool a idea. theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what? I wrote about this, I think, in like 2018. When I first used the Magic Leap, it was one of the coolest technology experiences I had. Like, I remember using the Magic Leap headset and looking around me Mm. and just kind of being... I mean, it's funny because all the talk about the metaverse and the idea of us sitting around a conference table with no legs and with a VR headset on was always ridiculous to me because I was like the technology, I already experienced something that was so groundbreaking. If you try to end
1: that like, that's another one too. And real no. and the number, the letter N real um, it's, I think it's a Chinese company. But no, have you, similar, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's almost, I mean, they're thicker than glasses and it has to be connected to a thing, but it's a similar thing. I'm, I'm watching TV over here. I'm scrolling um, Instagram over there, but we're still in the same room and we're still talking to each other. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, to me, I think, and I ho- kind of hope, and if anyone can do it, it's Apple, that the kind of promise of the metaverse that w- can be realized. The idea that like being in an immersive computed- computing environment, but that's also connected to the real world, that is kind of exciting. <laughs> like, I mean, if you take the Pokemon Go idea and then extend that mm-hmm. times a thousand or million, I think that's kind of cool.
0: Every time I hear Pokemon Go, I just get this image of Hillary Clinton in my mind being like, Pokemon Go to the polls. Wait, oh my God. <laughs> it will always be my association with Pokemon Go. That just killed, Hillary killed Clinton trying she to killed get the boat out. She might have. And by the way, if Apple ends up being the company that does the metaverse, that I mean, how much would that suck for, for Mark Zuckerberg? All right.
1: promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com.
0: Let's wrap this with uh, Ed Sheeran news. So um, Ed Sheeran was on trial uh, for copyright violation, and I don't think it was a criminal uh, offense, but it was certainly civil. And he uh, is accused of using Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On uh, and copying that in his Thinking Out Loud song. And if you listen to the songs, there are some similarities, but ultimately what the judge ruled was that basically you are copying a stock chord progression and a normal rhythm pattern. And that is so standard in music that we cannot allow artists to sue each other over this because I I would imagine the logic is that ends up um, stopping the progress of music. And I think it's so interesting because art of course emulates and improves and, you know, we shouldn't have artists that go out and steal each other's music. But the the legal question of like, whether this is a copyright violation is actually rather important because I mean, first from a music standpoint, you have to draw a line legally of like where, Artists are allowed to borrow and improvise and build on top of existing music. And then, I mean, obviously tech show, right? Like that has obvious implications for the use of AI, which could actually, um, generative AI could actually argue it's doing exactly what Ed Sheeran was doing with this song and with these chords saying that we're taking what, what's what been created in the past and improvising on it and potentially improving it. What do you think the implications are, Brian?
1: uh i mean look it is the the uh, a million monkeys on typewriters thing like there's only so many tunes in the world there's only so many stories um in the world i mean ever since what the 70s and 80s we've had this this sort of legal debate or even cultural debate about like what what is there anything new under the sun or is everything just a remix of your your um the things that inspire you and the things that came before you and things like that. Um, I'd almost say that, uh, we were talking about the Marvel thing too. Like we're, we're so stuck in this era where all we're doing is retreading what's familiar. Um, mm-hmm. like I, am happy for Ed because it's like, it, it it wasn't exactly like you would be able to, it would be an open and shut case if it was, you could tell that it, note for note, this is the exact same thing, but like he had a different spirit and a different song from a different time with a different inspiration or whatever. So like, you know, let's, let's be able to jam and mix on things.
2: I, I still love the idea that if Ed Sheeran makes his way into the center of the generative AI copyright <laughs> annals of history, that I, I will be kind of amazing. Um, I think that, For me, I don't know, going back to just the idea of copyright and generative AI in general and whether everything will be derivative, I don't know. I feel uh, artists in general have to, uh, it's such a tough one because it's like, how do you get new content coming out of this? How do you get new content that actually sounds different when everything is derivative of itself? When it's uh, when anything can be fed in, you can have something in the style of Ed Sheeran instantly.
1: Okay. I got one to throw at you. So um, one of the many AI clone songs is Kanye doing Adele's hello. Right. Yeah. Doesn't work because Kanye doesn't have the range of Adele. Right now we know that Whitney Houston took Dolly Parton's song and made it her own. Like the Whitney Houston version of I will always love you is probably, we would all agree the canonical version What if in the future you find something like that where it's like maybe there's somebody, you know, AI could be like, you know, who would really do Hello better than even Adele is this person or whatever. Like, does that make it worse? It it would be worse for the artist if someone comes along. But that already happens. Dolly Parton made a lot of money from this, so she's not sad about it. But Whitney Houston owns that song now. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, this is also where... AI law could become very creative in the sense of like the estates of artists being able to actually license out the voice gets very interesting. I saw a version of it was Biggie doing a classic Nas song and it sounded great. But Mm -hmm. imagine if he actually his estate actually got paid for it Mm -hmm. and was able to easily license a voice to Adobe or whatever other other platforms are being used. That's kind of awesome for everybody. Well Grimes actually,
0: yeah, Grimes said um, if my fans want to use my voice with AI and make a song and if it's 50, good, 50. we'll split it 50-50 just like any other guest that comes on and collaborates with me.
2: If I was a musician, I'd make that deal right now.
0: So uh, I mean, Nate, can I try to play this from my laptop and see if if there's a resemblance? Is that microphone is it going to destroy? Let's do it. We're <laughs> we're here live on we're we're making Nate shake his head. He does so not look we're here live on the podcast. Let's ruin the audio that he's worked so hard to portray. So here is "Thinking Out Loud" from Ed Sheeran.
2: I will be loving you till 70.
0: Sorry, Nate. And here's "Let's Get It On" from Marvin Gaye. Really
1: Do you guys see it? I hear the math of it. I hear how the notes are similar, but <laughs> right. it's not close enough to me.
2: Yeah, not even close. I mean, it's close, but not even close. Right. And I, it'll
0: be very interesting. I mean, this is kind of like, I think it'll be a very interesting precedent case for what we see with generative AI as this stuff moves I, forward.
2: I'm more curious in the stories that talked about Ed Sheeran showed up in court. With a guitar, with his tussled red hair, and a suit, and played with a guitar. Was this all just to get a free Ed Sheeran show? I mean, if you're
0: least. trying to woo a jury over to your case, yeah. like you <laughs> definitely, and you're Ed Sheeran, you come in with that guitar, and that's what you're that doing. That should
2: not be. If I, I would object, I would, yeah. strenuously object, Your if Honor, it was on the other side. <laughs>
0: Cannot play that guitar. You cannot in
2: play that guitar.
0: Yeah, it's it's very very interesting, and you know it sort of like kind of caught me by surprise how big of a case this was. But as I followed it towards the end, I was like, oh wow, this is very very interesting. And uh, obviously the music industry was was watching it closely, and I think it's something the tech industry should watch as well. And I I do want to note that after Ed was uh, exonerated, he uh, is exonerated. Even the right word to use for a civil case. Anyway, after he left the courthouse, someone was like shouting Ed Sheeran lyrics at Ed Sheeran. And uh, I, I think that um, it's a great welcome to him for New York because there was another New York Times story that said Ed Sheeran is leasing an apartment in, in Brooklyn Heights near the Brooklyn Bridge for $36,000 a month. And I knew that New York uh, real estate was getting out of control. Um, but Ed, come on, man, you're making this difficult for the rest of us. <laughs> you I mean. can
1: rent apartments for way more than that you oh. could it, there's new york city apartments that are six figures well
0: maybe rent. what ed was doing was just trying to anticipate <laughs> losing this trial and now he ha, he he can upgrade from his thirty-six thousand dollar a month brooklyn bridge park apartment but whatever the case welcome to brooklyn ed it's it's great to have you here um let us know if i'm sure you're a listener of the podcast either big <laughs> technology or tech meme right home let us know if you want to hang out with us um we'll have you on the show just kind
1: of the, um, the the bike lane that's all along the water here. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's two miles from here. Yeah.
0: And uh, bring your guitar and we might Explain find it in your favor. Between, uh, yeah, we, we do need this demonstration on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Trustless Media, for having us here in your studio. It's great to um, get a chance to do this in person with Ranjan and Brian. And uh, great to, if, if you're watching on LinkedIn or YouTube, it's great to, Come, oh, come to you in high definition in a great studio with great folks like Nate Skid here, who's sitting us, sitting with us, and um, hopefully will will forgive me after I played that music into the <laughs> microphone without prior authorization. So, thank you for that. Thank you, Brian. This is awesome.
1: Uh, thank you, Alex. I appreciate you uh, asking me to do this. This is better than when we do my show at my kitchen table with bad lav mics. So, <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. when,
0: whenever you want to do it, we'll we'll do it, and whether it's kitchen or whether it's down here okay. or. You come to my house, and we'll we'll uh, we'll be right above a pizza place. So beautiful. There'll be lunch. Ron John, great to see you again. Good to see. Thanks you. Thanks for doing this. We skipped. There was one sh- uh, story that we skipped, which was the fate of Andreessen Horowitz's media investments, Clubhouse, Substack, and betting on Elon Musk at Twitter. Which, if you're listening still, I would say you're gonna. Um, we'll cover next week when Ben Smith joins. John and I, you've probably heard Ben Smith on the podcast. If you're,
1: Dreeson invested in um, Buzzfeed News. Oh, they did, right? yes. They were so that will yeah. be
0: something that we'll cover. I think it'll be a great story to cover with Ben. He's coming on with Ranjan and I next Friday. So if you're just listening for the first time, hit subscribe. Uh, and if you're a uh, regular listener, make sure to tune into that one because it won't be one that you want to miss. Ben's done a lot of interviews, as I was saying. So. We're going to make it different uh, we're going to cover the week's news with him we're going to cover some of this andreason horowitz stuff talk a little bit about his book traffic uh, but ben was also on recently talking about the book uh before it came out so hopefully it'll be a little different um
1: he was, uh, he's, he's going to be on my show tomorrow saturday if you're listening to this all right yes awesome that's great
0: and my my former boss so uh once again from uh trustless studios here in brooklyn And it's been been great being with you. For Brian McCullough and Ron John Roy, I'm Alex Kantrowicz. We will see you next time on Big Technology Podcast.